I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. This morning um, should be a pretty light sermon, um, be uh, pretty uh, laid back, easy going. Uh, actually, it's quite the opposite. There's a lot going on here in this text. If you've read ahead, you know that we're going to be dealing with some uh, challenging topics. I've basically secluded myself in my office most of the week, trying to just glean God's uh, wisdom halfway through the week. I was convinced that I was just going to preach the first half of the text, and then next week Nick was going to preach the second half of the text. Uh, I didn't think that would be very nice to him, uh, nor uh, it wouldn't be wise. So we're going to preach the whole thing. And uh, for those of you who may wonder, yes, this is an entire pericope. Pericope is a section of preaching text. So this whole section, there's evidence. It's clear that this is a section of text that needs to be preached together. I'm not just trying to book through to get it done. um, But what we have here is what we should be uh, talking about this morning. So uh, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, before we spend time in God's Word, let's pray for His blessing on our time. We pray, God, that You uh, meet us um, uh, through and in Your Word. We pray, Father, wherever we come from, um, if we come here just wanting to give You praise and worship You, that, Lord, You meet us and empower us to that end, encourage us through Your Spirit that we might go from this place truly uh, leaping and praising you with our lives. If we're in complacency, we know you, Lord, but we're lukewarm about our faith. Father, stir a a fire within our hearts and our minds that we might um, seek to honor and glorify you, Uh, that we might want to grow in how we uh, live out the calling to uh, give you glory and give thanks to you with our lives. Lord, if if there are people here who do not know you, I pray that you, um, through the mystery and the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to hearts and minds that truly the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ might break through any barriers that may hinder belief. And if, Lord, that's me speaking, if it's something else going on, break through that barrier, Lord, and expose unbelief to your truth so that, Lord, a heart might be changed. Lord, we understand that that's work that you alone can do through your grace. And we ask you to do it, if it be your will, this morning. Father, take glory in us, your people. We truly desire to seek you out, to follow you, to go where you call us to go, and to see your kingdom grow as you live and work in us. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. From Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, how many watch news regularly or read stuff on internet news? Okay. You, you look at the news, right? And you read the news. And um, how many of you think that uh, uh, the human race is just awfully creative at finding ways to mess themselves up? How many of you would say that the human race continues to uh, experiment and pursues ways to destroy, hurt, and provide pain and suffering in other members of the human race's lives? Mm. How many of you would say that the human race does its best at discovering new levels of depravity and sin and brokenness and really, really crazy, crazy things in this world that do not honor God. Okay. Now, are you a member of the human race? So whose fault is all those things? It's funny. We easily say that the human race is deteriorating or is finding new ways to express sin and disobedience or brokenness or suffering or pain, conflict, war, hurt. We say the human race is a part of doing all the, and we are a part of the human race, so whose fault is it? Is it ours? Are we willing to take on some of the blame for that? And it's interesting that we would pose this question because that's more or less what Paul is doing in this portion of our text from the book of Romans today. 
As we dig in, we're going to see this morning that when Paul talks about depravity and brokenness, when he talks about lust, when he talks about homosexualism, when he talks about all the pride and the faithlessness and the ruthlessness and the foolishness of humankind, he's indicting the people that he's writing to and he's indicting himself. And for us to remember as we read texts about foolishness and sin, that foolishness and sin are indicative of the human race of which we are a part, it's important for us to dig into a little bit. So let's start with the beginning of the text, verse 18. Verses 18 and 19 say this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. I want to read a portion of that text, and I want to read it two different ways. I'm going to try, see if you get the nuance. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Let me read it differently. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness of wick- and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, maybe you didn't see it by the nuance. But how we read that phrase speaks volumes about how we're going to understand this text. If we are going to understand Paul saying here that the wrath of God is being revealed against a certain group of humankind, those who suppress the truth by their wickedness, then what we're doing is we're nuancing God's wrath for a specific group of people. And certainly, we could try to read that. We could say that, man, anthropos is a specific anthropos. Man being anthropos in Greek. That those who suppress God's truth are the ones who receive his wrath. But that's not what Paul is doing. See, Paul is actually including all anthropos in God's wrath. Anthropos describes humanity, which means godlessness and wickedness are characteristic of all, both Gentiles and Jews, both those who have been a part of the church for a long time and those who haven't shadowed the doors of a church. In fact, as you read through the book of Romans, you are going to catch on to this theme over and over and over again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? There is no one who is righteous. How many? Not even one. Paul here is introducing this theme that humanity, not humans who sin or humans who do certain things, that humanity is the cause, is the ones who cause God's wrath to be revealed against creation. And thus, by doing so, he's indicting the church and he's indicting us into much of what follows. Verse 20, 
Verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. What we're seeing here is Paul is actually specifically speaking to the Roman Christians because as Roman Christians, they would not simply be exposed to Christian theology. They would be exposed to the culture in which they live. And part of Roman philosophy is actually that God is revealed through what has been created. Actually, they would say God's. It's one of the reasons why you have the mythology of the Greeks and Romans. It comes from the philosophy that creation itself reveals something of the deity who has created it. That's why you get all these different gods with all these different tasks. The God who would bring the sun across the sky with his chariot. The God who would make earthquakes. The God who would do this. The God who, uh, the God of love. You hear all these distinctives in Roman mythology, and it's because what they see in creation says to them, there is more to what uh, creation says than just what we humans can grasp onto. He's act- the, the Romans are actually affirming what Paul is saying here. Creation speaks about something. Something divine, something big, something powerful, something huge. And so when Paul is saying, you're without excuse, the Romans would have understood that. He's actually speaking to their culture, and he's speaking to ours. We talk about the beauty, the mystery of the cosmos. We talk about these beautiful things that bring us even into the palace of the divine. These are even words that our culture says, not just the church, because of the power of creation and its beauty. So we're without excuse. So all humanity is without excuse. And then we get to verses 21 and 20 through 23, and they say this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, Paul's doing something really cool here. Remember I said to you before that when we read the Greek of Paul, we're reading graduate-level Greek, not just in terms of its grammatical construction, but also in terms of its artistry. And when Paul begins this section of the text by saying these words, glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, he's actually including a couple different groups in that. Why? Because the chief end of a Jew is to what? Glorify God. Kavod is the Hebrew word. That was the chief end. That's the chief end of a Jew is to glorify God. 
So by saying this, Paul is speaking to the Jewish Christians in the church. But not only that, he's also then speaking to the Gentiles and the Jews together by talking about giving thanks to him. I want to talk about giving thanks for a moment. That's the Greek word right there, eucharisteo. Does anyone recognize a word that comes from that? Eucharist. And Eucharist is what? It's the Lord's Supper. It's the table. When we talk about the table, we're talking about Eucharisteo, giving thanks for what it is that Christ has done for us as people through his grace, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. When we do the Eucharist, by participation in it, we are part of giving thanks to God for Jesus Christ. So when Paul is talking to the, both the Jews and the Gentiles, he's including them in these things by the artistry of his writing to them and indicting them, you see, because they did not give glory to God. They did not give thanks. He's including both the Greeks and the Jews in the indictment. Neither, none of them, neither group is without excuse. You're not getting off easily if you're a part of reading this text. And then we get this. They say, it says this in, let me see, verse 22. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. That's interesting that, that Paul would indict someone for claiming to be wise. Because in Greek and Roman culture, specifically with people like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, basically the fathers of modern philosophy, one of the huge standards of being wise was what? Don't claim you're wise. You claim you're a fool. Because the minute you claim you're wise, you're all of a sudden indicting yourself for not being wise because there's so much you don't know. In fact, those were words exactly that Socrates would use. I know nothing. I am a fool. So when Paul is saying that these folks, humanity, claims to be wise... By that claim in and of itself, it's the reciprocal. <laughs> They're not. They're in fact, and the translation literally would be witless. They lost their wits. They had their wits not about them at all. And the problem is, is that in their witlessness, when you're witless, you do foolish things. And in humanity's witlessness, we have done crazy stuff, right? And we look at that and we say, okay, we look at some of these ancient tribal religions. And we say, okay, uh, let's call, let's, let's talk about, um, I don't know, uh, what's the Indian religion? Uh, come on. Hindu, thank you. Hindu religion. What is one of their holy animals? The cow. Okay which is horrible because I like me a good prime rib every now and again. That's too bad because you can't, can't kill a cow in the Hindu religion to eat it. 
And we listen to that, right? And we think, how ridiculous. Does anyone sort of think that? How ridiculous is that, that you would believe a cow to be a god? Or some of the Far Eastern monkey gods. Or when you talk about ancient Egyptian Egyptians, you would have Isis and Ibis and all these things that have crocodile heads and different crazy things that went on. The sort of stuff, actually, that Paul is indicting, worshiping instead of the creator, something that was created, right? And we hear all these things and we think, how ridiculous. How could you possibly possibly lower yourself to believe that a crocodile is God. Take out your dollar, and if you have one, which I don't, pull out a dollar bill. And look at that dollar bill. That's our crocodile. That's your crocodile sometimes. That's what you worship. It's a piece of paper. And the only reason it's worth money is because we've gotten together as a culture and society and say this is worth money. It's a piece of paper with ink on it, folks. It holds nothing tangible of value except that we claim it does. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. And if you're from another culture and another time, you know what that sounds like? Folks, you're worshiping crocodiles. It's ridiculous. We, too, have participated in exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Now, maybe it's not money. Maybe instead it's pleasure. Or it's, it's, it's experience. Or it's whatever. When we hear Paul talking about the witlessness, they lost their wits. We are a part of a world that has lost its wits. And sometimes we're right in there with it. Let's admit this. Let's understand that the anthropos of Romans 1 is us. Which gets a little scary because coming up here we start to hear words of indictment against specific behaviors that result from God's wrath for witlessness which we participate in. It means, folks, we're in the hook. We're in here with even those that we would say are the worst of our culture, doing the most foolish and ridiculous of things. Verses 24 and 25 say this, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Therefore is the connector. The reason why you see even in my sermon notes the lion's share of the study 
is on the verses that come before the end. There's actually two halves to this pericope. There was a part of me that just wanted to preach the first half and then let Nick deal with the next half next week. That would have been really fun for me to do, maybe not you, but it would have been fun for me to do and not Nick. But these go together. The therefore of all this stuff that's coming comes out of the witlessness of anthropos humanity in exchanging the truth of God for a lie, what we say, but I would even say this, it's not a lie, it's the lie. It's the lie. God has made himself known through creation. God himself has made himself known through Jesus. God has made himself known to all of creation. And really fundamentally, the truth is either you acknowledge God revealing himself or you do not acknowledge God revealing himself. So when we say the truth, uh, that they exchange the truth of God for a lie, certainly that is the case. But the problem is, is that it's the lie. If you don't acknowledge God as revealing himself to you through creation, through his spirit, through Jesus, through his word, through the church, then frankly you're participating in the greatest lie that can ever be perpetuated in human life with the greatest of consequence and the biggest of burdens. Exchanging the truth of God for the lie. That's, that's the depths of God's wrath. And we see the consequences that begin to come. And these consequences come out of one big, fat, and ugly, ugly sin. And there's some of you who want to name that sin as homosexuality, and I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Because the sin, the sin is idolatry. It's idolatry. Hear again what is said here. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, the lie, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. What is that? That's idolatry. The big stuff going on here that Paul is indicting in Romans chapter 1, 18 through whatever it is, 32, is he is indicting idolatry more than anything else. Now certainly he highlights some stuff. And we need to reflect on those highlights. But the reason why I'm doing less of that than I am of the first portion of the text is I want you to hear. I want you to hear that the big sin here is the sin of idolatry. All this other stuff comes out of that sin. The wrath of God is revealed against creation because we are wonderful little idol factories. All the time, I think that's a John Calvin quote, right? Thank you, Will. It is. We're little idol factories. We create them all over the place. We can create them of our marriages. We can create them of sports. We can create them of experiences. We can create them of pleasure. And in that, we're participating in the witlessness towards which the wrath of God is revealed. 
and see when Paul begins to talk about homosexuality. He's hearkening back to how things were meant to be in Genesis 1 through 3. Remember, God had a design. God has a design for creation. And he looked at man and woman. Woman was created as what? Man's helper. And he saw that as very good. And then there were to be fruitful and multiply. When Paul is speaking about what happens here, he is speaking about people exchanging that plan, that idea, that design for something else. Something else that's broken. Something else that's shameful, even. And now let's read those verses from 26 through 32. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with men, women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. To do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Little sidebar, children, you may think that not obeying your parents isn't a big deal. It's part of you growing up and becoming a teenager or an adult or all that other sort of stuff. Paul's got it on his list. That's pretty heavy. I better call my mom this afternoon because she told me to call her, so I won't. You know, bear. Got to bear. Now, certainly, I'm not going to pussyfoot around it. There's an indictment of homosexualism here. But I want you to hear yes, I used that word and not homosexuality. I used homosexualism. The distinction there is that homosexualism is participating in the active pursuit of relations with the same gender, either in your mind, in your heart, with your body. And the reason that I say homosexualism is because that's actually what Paul says. Because he says that they were what? Enslaved with lust. Lust. They took it from a thought, an idea, to another level. In the same way, that those who are heterosexual can have an idea. It's not lust. There's a beautiful woman. There's a good-looking man. It's a thought. But taking it to the point of, I wonder what it would be like to, that's lust. See the distinction? That's when we become enslaved, inflamed with lust. One we would not call that sin. It's 
It's a thought. We take captive every thought, bring it back into our mind, and say, I'm going to honor God by praying for that beautiful young lady. Or I'm going to serve God by praising him for this person and asking God to bless them. But taking it to the next level, being inflamed with lust, is where the sin comes. And I want to make that distinction because Paul does. I don't want us to condemn people for being within the context or being, how do I want to say this? I don't want to condemn people for just being people. Because I don't think that God's word condemns people for just being people. I think that God, God's word condemns what happens when someone is inflamed with lust, when someone moves it beyond a thought, an idea, and moves it into the realm of active thinking, pursuit, not taking captive every thought. Now, certainly that's up for debate. I'll expect your emails, verhoof at the river, crc.com. He's also speaking here to a pervasive part of Roman culture. The Emperor Nero, emperor at the time of the Book of Romans, exhibits bisexual tendencies publicly. He dresses in effeminate garb. He has a person who lives with him who is of his same gender. So certainly there is the indictment of that within Roman culture, highlighting that as counter to what it is that God wills in his creation. However, it's not just about the culture. Paul's making a broader statement. God's word is making a broader statement about what created order is. I want you to listen to this quote. I think this is really important. Sexual perversion is the result of God's wrath not the reason for it. Hear me? Sexual perversion is the result of God's wrath, not the reason for it. Why does this stuff fall in the second portion of the text? In the beginning portion, we get God's wrath being revealed because of what sin? Idolatry. And since God's wrath is being revealed against creation, because of Anthropos's idolatry, then we have all these other things that happen. And it's interesting because certainly Romans chapter 1, the second portion, has become a rallying cry for those who want to indict homosexuals and call them the evil of creation. The problem is in the second part, right after this text that we talked about, Going to the end of the chapter, what do we got? We got over and over and over again, Paul saying things like, if you're ruthless, if you're faithless, if you disobey your parents, if you're prideful, if you're arrogant, if you're rude, if you do any of these things, you are experiencing God's wrath. How many of us are guilty of those things? Me! I don't have enough hands. 
I can't simply abandon one group of people and say, you are the reason for God's wrath without saying, I am too. Because I'm anthropos. Just like you are anthropos. And we're in this together. And that's one of the reasons why my first so what point is this. Hear me here. Oh boy, people of God, do we need Jesus. Oh man, do we need Jesus. Because I look at all this stuff and it, it's a mess. And see, that's the beauty of what Paul is doing. This guy's an artist. He's, he's amazing in how he does it. He's setting us up. He's going to introduce us. Over the next couple chapters, we're going to keep walking it through. And you're going to say, where does Jesus come? Oh, he's coming. But we need to understand the consequences of idolatry and faithlessness and ruthlessness and homosexualism and lust and pride and all those things so that when Jesus shows up and the grace of God is revealed in the personhood of Jesus Christ, that all of a sudden we go, praise you, Jesus, for showing up in my life because without you, I am sunk so deep into your wrath. I am stuck so massively into the condemnation that you have for sin and idolatry. But with you, there's life and there's hope and there's redemption. And I'm not lost anymore. All is not lost because you haven't abandoned me. You haven't taken yourself away from me. In Jesus, you've brought yourself near to me. And then also, we are called to the wisdom, not the witlessness. We are called to the wisdom of God by giving him glory and giving him thanks. People, if you want to be a good follower of Jesus Christ, primary work, give God glory and give thanks for Jesus. That's primary work. That's how you live within God's wisdom. That's how you live in his will. Give him glory, give him thanks. And we also then need to be willing to include ourselves in the sins of humanity and proclaim that there is only salvation alone in Christ. I can't remember the name of the philosopher-theologian. I want to say it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was asked once, what's the problem with humanity? He and a whole number of other people were asked this question for an article that a professor or a publication was was doing and of course this publication got from other philosophers and other theologians and other people loads and loads and loads of, of pages of thoughts and ideas what's wrong with humanity what's wrong with humanity Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote two words what's wrong with humanity I am I am because he's saying, if I reflect God's glory, 
if I give thanks, if I with my life proclaim the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ, then others will be changed and others will be affected. But the problem is I don't always do that. And because I don't always do that and because the church is the hope of the world, And because of the grace of Christ is the hope of the world, hope for the lustful, hope for the prideful, hope for the broken, hope for the witless, hope for the person lost in homosexuality. If I am not proclaiming the glory of God with my life and giving thanks to him with all that I am and all that I do, I'm the problem because the light is not going out. And that's the only thing that I can be responsible for. I can't be responsible for how you give thanks and you give God glory. I can't fix what it is that you do. We can't fix it at all ourselves. But we do need the Spirit to come. I need the Spirit to come within me to burn in me that desire to give God kavod, glory, with all my life and excuse exclaim with my life, Eucharistio! Jesus, for what you've done for me. Then, when I've done that perfectly, (laughs) then I have no more responsibility. And we know that's never going to happen. People of the river, as we pray together, my prayer is that we as a community, as you as an individual, we as a church proclaim the kavod and the eucharisteo to the world so that they see Jesus. Let's pray together. Living God, living hope, redeemer of all things, we so desperately need you. We look at this wrath that you have revealed against our culture, against creation, against our generation, and we fall on our knees before you. We repent, O God, of how we have contributed. We repent, O God, of our foolishness, our witlessness, our forgetting our responsibility to give you glory and to give thanks with every part of our lives. Father, forgive us. Come and cleanse us. Redeem us in Jesus because he's the hope of the world and we need that hope to be able to show the world who he is. We pray these things all in that name of Jesus, amen. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them. Feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.